fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and our Warren. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Uh, Dave Dollar Store Dave Martino <laughs> is back in the house. I am here. It's been a week. It's been a yes. week without you. I've been so lonely. Oh, I'm sorry, Al. You're not sorry. I had to go to the dollar stores. Yeah, you don't care. <laughs> I've been on you know. I've been on tour. You've been on tour, yeah, all through Boston <laughs> doing all the dollar stores. You get to have your favorite dollar stores. So you don't have a Dollarama in the U.S., do you? Right? No. What's that? No. Dollarama to go to Canada. is a better name, you know, because they have Dollarama <laughs> through Canada. Dollarama, that's yeah. a cool name. Yeah. You know, I like it. Well, I'll still take the name. That might be an evolution. <laughs> he is an evolution. Um, so now when we're talking... The missing link. Uh, now, I have to say, weird stuff on social media. Now, now, now there's this group of people going around social media. TikTok, of course, is always the worst. Instagram's close. Hmm. And um, now they're, they're not wiping after going to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They've decided that um, there's too many chemicals in our toilet paper. Oh, so just you could type that in TikTok. You could just go no wiping. Yeah. And no wiping. there's like hundreds of them. There's groups of these people, wow. and they're saying that if uh, we were meant to wipe, if God wanted us <laughs> to wipe, He would have given us some sort of self wiper. Like yeah. no animals do it. So mm. uh, just so you know, and this woman <laughs> that runs it hasn't wiped for two years now. No. Oh. And she said that she feels better and gets sick less. Hmm. And uh, and so um, I I you know I don't think we're hmm. going to make it. Just so you know, <laughs> just in it's general, over in general, I think that things are kind of headed in a well, you know, in a challenging direction. Let's just say, you know, apocalyptic. And, and there's a whole group now, and, and they're they're okay. Get this: people are dating themselves. Okay. Oh. They're giving I need up more on this. Yeah, well, they, they, well, they've given up dating with whatever sex they're into dating because of whatever their reasons are. Different reasons, you know, who knows? You know, there's there's all sorts of reasons. And so now they're calling themselves, they're master dating. Oh, my God. I know. Who came <laughs> up with that? I know. <laughs> where does Elle find this stuff? I know. You know, I don't know. I'm just, I belong to the wrong groups in TikTok. You know, I guess. I've got 50,000 followers uh, now on TikTok, and I do nothing but post rational things, and I get this coming back at me. They want me to <laughs> join the master dating group or the... Um, no wiping. The no wiping. Actually, the no wipe lady, too, that the, the one in charge of it, I have to say she's decided to go to a litter box, too. This is not a joke. Oh, get out of here. I'm not Uh-oh. making it up, and I know there's all that stuff about, you know, kids using, identifying as cats and they, all those bad rumors, and they're all fake. But this lady actually goes on TikTok and talks about the 
because she doesn't wipe, how much she really likes using a sandbox, so to speak, like a large litter box. So anyway, well, it's part of the master dating. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, she stinks. That's why she has to. Oh. Uh, anyway, uh, that's that's enough. Now we got to get on um, with serious conversation. Well, let's, uh, I'm dying to know what the impetus for this no wiping movement is, but but. I mean, I, I, I'm going to fall down a rabbit hole later, I'm sure. So, Well, you know, the thing is, where were they when we needed them? Because during the pandemic and all the toilet yeah. paper was getting sold out. Now, if we had all these people <laughs> not wiping, we wouldn't be running out of toilet paper. Touche. Right? We're at 2020, yeah. where were you? Yeah, where were you when we needed you? I don't know how many people got sick from wiping and what kind of vicious... Uh, chemicals are in toilet paper, but she needs to look at. She must be buying it at the dollar store. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's enough. See, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm getting myself into trouble here. So <laughs> yeah, they're going to be they're going to be giving me a lecture after this show. Oh yes. my goodness! Now, now today we've got a popular writer on with us today. It's it's a banner week. Actually, um, I had a couple of co-hosts want to come on and 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 talk with this uh, lady. So, mm -hmm. yeah, her new book is called With Regrets. It's a novel, and it's Lee Kelly. So welcome, Lee Kelly. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Alan and Dave. It's great to be here. Yeah, I got a couple. I had, I had a couple of different co-hosts that, if they weren't doing, they were kind of tied up with other things and go, oh, I'd love to be there. Oh, that makes my day. John thank you. Copenhager. Do you know him, Haber? Yes, thank you so much. That's yeah, so nice of you to tell me. Yeah, he was one, and he was like, he really wanted to be here. No, very cool. Thank you. So I, was, I always find that interesting when, when people jump on and say, oh, wow, she'd be great. And then oh, I kind of go, oh, this is going to be a good interview. I, I wonder what she writes if she writes uh -oh. playboy or what's going on right well, that is a no i hate to disappoint well that's all right i don't read anyway i just look at the pictures so i don't i don't we're covering a lot of a lot of hot topics quickly oh yeah that's you know lee kelly tell us who you are like how did you now you're 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 being written up in publishers weekly and you've got books going on and all this stuff so where did it start for you Oh, thank you. Um, so I guess my debut was called City of Savages, and this was back in 2015. Um, and I tend to hop around a little bit. All of my books could probably be called genre blending stories. Uh, this one was a post-apocalyptic sort of escape from New York story, and that was in 2015. And then I followed that up with a crime fantasy kind of mashup, which was called A Criminal Magic. Um, and then I had two children, and my life went a little haywire. <laughs> and it's been it's been a while, but I just published a book uh, that was a collaboration, actually, with Jen uh, Jennifer Thorne, uh, who is my wonderful co-writer. We wrote The Antiquity Affair, which is a historical adventure, kind of Indiana Jones-ish. And this, and then this is my solo follow-up with Regrets, which is a domestic survival thriller. So sadly, none of these sit together on the shelves, uh, which <laughs> might be a problem, uh, but they were all very fun to write, um, and I can't help but take two concepts I love and see what they would be like, kind of melded together. Well, you should you should have a different publisher name for each book you write and then find the person that's really big in that area and have a name very close to their name. Oh, you know what? That <laughs> Where were you seven years ago? <laughs> I know. You know I, I was writing some murder book, you know, and it's, it's like I was just getting published then too, so. I know. No, it's it's funny. It's, it is always the question, right? It, 
do you kind of keep one name? The whole the whole pen name game is very fascinating to me because do you are you building a readership if the books are different? Does it make sense to go with different pen names? Um, I'm sort of fascinated by that, but I, I I did keep with the Lee Kelly throughout all of them um, for better and worse. Yeah, yeah, because that's one thing I'm I'm looking at that myself because I'm writing some different types of books and I'm wondering if I should have a different name and I think. There's a possibility that I will use a different name for those books, but I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't fully decided. Can I ask, are they uh, what kind of uh, space are those those new books in uh, that you would that would cause you to want to to create a pen name? Well, there's if I'm a, allowed to. Well, it's it's pornography. No, actually, what it is is because <laughs> I. Well, then I kind of agree. Because <laughs> well, no, it's it's uh, yeah, Dollar Dave does Dallas. No, I. I <laughs> I thought actually what I was going to because I've been doing all nonfiction and yes. stuff like that and true crime, but right. I'm going I'm doing fictional stuff. Oh, cool! I don't want people to get it mixed up because I noticed that when you do a, an historical fiction or something where you're putting fictional works part of a true story, even it's not mm. the same as when I actually cover a real true story. And I think that it's too easy to get it mixed up. And I, because one of the things that really bothers me, like for instance, I saw, um, I, I just saw a movie on um, Boston Strangler. Yeah. Okay. A new movie. And it's on one of those big networks. And it was, it was good, but it was awful because, mm. because they fictionalized so much of the story. And I know the real story that it kind of bothered me, not so much that it, that they changed it. It's just that I see a lot of people talking about this movie as if a lot of those events are true. Oh, interesting. And that bothers me because they, because nowadays people are putting out as based on a true story and people read it or see it. And they think, Oh, this is all very, this is all real. Like everything's said and done in the story. And if you know the real story, a lot of those characters didn't even exist. Yeah, that's that's so interesting because I think from a reader expectation standpoint, it, it might make sense to have the two lanes. But then that's fascinating, this idea that people are actually getting their facts from fiction, and that is kind of dangerous. <laughs> it's, you know, it started about 10 years ago, and it's really, yes. really snowballed. It's kind of scary about yes. how many people rely on, you know, like, Facebook or TikTok to get their information, and they don't even go further than that. That's just mm -hmm. it. Or the Hollywood version of the story, as you were saying, which um, yeah. is not is not really the story. Um, no, it, it is fascinating. And 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 fair enough. I mean, it, you know, when I look at it, something like that, it can be a good story. But the thing is, they've got three or four characters that didn't exist in the true story that they've totally created, that they put into the story. And, it, sure, they can make it a more interesting story, a fuller story, but it's not the true story. So if someone watching it going, oh, that's what happened. Oh, I wonder why, you know, and they start putting it all together as if it really was the case. And it's mm -hmm. not. That's sort of, so that I, that's why I'm thinking seriously of having a separate, name and a separate division of like this is just it's all fiction no that I, I i hear what you're saying it's it i think fiction inspired by a real event is very different than a non-fiction book right for sure or story so where are your inspirations here like with re with regrets like the the novel the one you're out promoting now what is your inspiration for that story so uh, this i sort of 
bill as a dinner party gone wrong. It's it's a group of uh, friends and frenemies who have gotten together for a um, adults only dinner, and the apocalypse strikes. So, my my inspiration actually was um, in two thousand I. 19, maybe January 2020, and I give you the dates just because um, of, you know, COVID was around the corner, unbeknownst to me, and I had, my husband and I were making plans to go out for ourselves, a, a adults-only dinner party, and we were using a new babysitter, and I was nervous. And on the way over, I started to spin this idea. I love survival stories. Um, I, any post-apocalyptic post Post-apocalyptic, oh my gosh, what a tongue teaser, is, um, I, I gobble them up. Um, and I was thinking, I haven't seen a story that features, like, neighborhood friends or frenemies. Um, it's all, it always seems like it's family or it's strangers, like a, like a bird box situation. And so I was spinning this story on the way to the party, and then the story wouldn't leave me. Um, and then I started to kind of Again, I'm, I'm attracted to these genre-blending stories. I start to think, okay, well, what about a domestic suspense story that featured an apocalyptic event, and none of these parents can get back to their kids at this dinner party? And then, lo and behold, I start writing it, and then we can't leave the home, none of us, in March of 2020. So fiction sort of became real life, and <laughs> I wasn't as excited <laughs> about writing this story when I was just literally trapped in a home. Um, so I, I put it aside for a little while, and I, I would say a couple of years ago when sort of we started to crawl out of our homes and life kind of started to resemble a new kind of normal, I picked it back up again and I, I changed some things, but I, I reinvigorated my excitement about the story. Um, but it, it became a very different story, obviously, in a post-COVID world than in 2019 January 2020. So sorry, that's a very long answer, but I do think <laughs> so much of this book is tied up sort of in in um, the COVID experience, uh, just because it, it was inescapable and it happened right in the middle of, of my writing of the book. Well, you're talking about, uh, you know, blending post-apocalyptic with domestic and genre blending. D did you have difficulty with agents and publishers because, you know, sometimes they feel it's harder to market something that, that blends genres? Uh, what was your experience with that? So this is like the question. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, re I really do. I really do struggle with this because I am so drawn to these kinds of stories that do borrow from different genres. And my co-writer Jennifer Thorne and I always joke that we wish we could walk into a, like a, you know a bookstore and say, okay, where's the section that is hard to classify, quote unquote, because they're they're those stories are very exciting to us. But yes, absolutely. I, I was fortunate enough to with with regrets to have my agent on board, and she has been so supportive of the story, but we really did have to pick a primary lane, and that would be my advice to any writer out there who is thinking about, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to meld, you know, an apocalyptic story with, um, like, a domestic sort of drama? I think you really do have to pick a, a dominant lane, and I had started with the wrong lane, <laughs> at least in my, <laughs> in, in my perspective. Um, I had started out sort of with this more slow burn, domestic suspense, lots of time spent in then now little vignettes about these people that were at the party and why they were there and their secrets. And that's all well and good, but the actual event didn't happen until like very deep into the second act. Um, so I kind of reimagined it more as a thriller and it, it's much more real time, faster pace. Yes, there's backstory, but it all has to be kind of told in this more real time 
dialogue pulling double duty sort of situation. Um, and that really did change the novel. So I would call this primarily a thriller, but it does have that apocalyptic event, uh, that other to it. Um, and you're going to get a, you know, a dose of the sort of drama and secrets that come with domestic suspense on the side. Well, how do you keep people interested then in the sense of, um, Quite often the thrillers are these stories that start out with some wild event at the beginning or some sort of mm-hmm. intense killing or some sort of something. Like there's usually yes. even your first reading, the first part is all about an event, and then you kind of get into the history. So did you do it that way, or is there some sort of secret way you did it? No, no, it's a great question because I think you do. And even when I'm reading like a like a slow burn thriller i want a tease at the beginning right like some kind of prologue or some kind of and i feel like a lot of writers do do this if they're going to bury their lead you tease the lead at the beginning right whether it it is like a like a snapshot scene of something to come later or in my case i put these this like news ticker of things that are just seeming not right in the world for these characters um the, the one of the main characters is a writer and she has these news hits that she's trying to to use for inspiration. And so the book opens with her finding all of these buried news articles that are talking about this, you know, something not right in the United Kingdom that nobody understands what's going on, but the the um the power's gone out, nobody can get in touch with their 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 mom or their dad. And then you kind of get into the domestic stuff. And I really try to weave that through from chapter Chapter one, these incoming news alerts, and then, okay, chapter three, it's happening. And before, it was chapter 12. Uh, so, again, uh, moving, like you said, the, the event to the front and giving a tease right away, I, I hope hooks people into that those thrilling elements. Um, but because it is domestic suspense, I want you readers to get to know the characters as well. So there was that balancing of characterization, interiority, and the forward motion of the story. Um, whether I got that right, you tell me. <laughs> yeah. I tried. Um, so so that, that sort of, and it's a balancing act. It, it was a balancing act all the way through, um, scrapping the dis- domestic suspense for primarily the thriller, and then tweaking as I went. It, it, it's sort of, it's trial and error, uh, whether whether the pacing is, is just right or feels right to the, the writer, and we all know this is so subjective, um, but I landed on a place that felt felt right to me. Right. So you started out in the first chapter with the excitement of, in the UK, they mm-hmm. all stopped wiping. <laughs> well, I, I like that callback. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah. The total total shutdown. Nobody is wiping, yeah. and they're they're all on buses talking about the litter boxes. It is total chaos. Yeah, and nobody knows That's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you just gave me a great idea for a sequel, so I appreciate yeah, right. it. <laughs> yeah, instead of with regrets, with 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 paper, with no, with no paper, <laughs> with yeah, no paper. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, paperless. Paperless. I can see the I can see the cover now. Yeah, without. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, we could do this. This is I, I, a whole like series. It. You know, listen, uh, collaboration. There you go. I yeah, like it. It's the past, you know. Well, you seem <laughs> to be into this uh, apocalypse. You seem to be into the the challenge of end times, in a sense, um, or or the challenge of something, something 
horrific in a in an event mm. and so it's it, like who hurt you <laughs> well i mean I, it, it is a great question because I, I find that you know all all writers that that deal with write the supernatural or, or horror or the apocalypse right i i I, I love these genres because I think they let us look at ourselves from a different angle. And when I say ourselves, I mean, you know, we the collective. What kind of person are you at the end? What, what do you value? What, when you're pushed to the edge, you know, what happens to you? Are you a better version of yourself or are you a worse, per, you know, version of yourself? That That's highly fascinating to me. And I find that the past, you know, five, ten years, we're actually seeing that in real life, um, which is as fascinating as it is disturbing, right? Just just how we are dealing with all this this stress and chaos in, in the real world. And I, I can't seem to fully get away from the speculative because of that. I, I, I've never really written just a, a realistic novel, even my historical adventure with, with Jen, there's a, there's an element of a, um, like a mystical object at the center of it. I, I I don't know why. Maybe it's maybe it's this. It's just this this different way of of looking at ourselves um, and what that brings to the table and adds to the conversation of who we are. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I'm older in the sense I'm I'm 61 now, and I grew up with a lot of the older science fictions and the older stories. Period, mm. where um, even though it was War of the Worlds or the invasions and all these different horrors and yes. even noirs. In general, the the authors of the old times always sort of wrote in the in the favor of there was always a hope. Even when yes. it seemed hopeless and it was just there's no matter what challenge came up and it's over, there was always that little sliver of hope that won out in the end. Yes. But isn't isn't the last you know, I don't know if I want to say ten years, but the last let's say six, seven years, and the way a lot of people have behaved and are still behaving in some cases, doesn't that change the way you write? Um, I'm, I'm just asking because I don't write in that in this, this field, this genre, so I'm just right. wondering, does it, does it take out that hope? Does it change that? I kind of love this question because uh, it, it's a deep one, right? I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you first and foremost that the older sort of horror, for lack of a better word, the, the other, right, mm-hmm. carries that element of hope. And I couldn't write without it. I, I, I don't know if I could live without it, right? Um, so it might change the way many people write. For me, I think I'm writing toward hope, right? Like I'm, I'm writing to figure it out. I'm writing to understand it. How it's packaged at the end, if it ever sees the light of day, if it stays on my computer, that is a different matter. But when I'm in the story... I am definitely navigating towards a place where I still believe there can be a better tomorrow, even if it means it is the end of the world. Does, does that make any sense? I don't know if I'm... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, it but, does, yeah. Like, click your um, heels three times and think of home, <laughs> right? I, I, I need the hope. I, I think that's exactly right. And so um, even horror and speculative, to me, happy ending maybe is too trite, but, but, but there is... When you close the pages of my books, I hope you feel better, <laughs> even though the situation was so god awful. Well, I think it's a continue. Everything just continues. I don't think. I think hope in itself is just that you can close the book and it's not over in the sense. Of, yes. You know they're not all dead and and whatever. Right. Um, but 
I just think that um, the way we we see people behave, because, you know, whatever the spectrum the people are on in the sense mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, uh, you go to a store and someone's screaming at the lady at the front desk because yes. you won't wear a mask, and it's like this big, big to-do about this, and, and this whole belief system that, oh, this is, it's a pandemic, it wasn't real, or it's fake, mm. and all this stuff. Just to see that in real time yes. and to see that behavior it kind of does that change the way you write your characters i guess it i guess it does a little bit i i if i'm honest i pushed the characters that are in this novel i won't say towards more of a caricature version of themselves but i did make them unlikable on purpose and they're at they're at the dinner they're all carrying these secrets um so so your your questions are prompting me to really look at this right so yes i i guess i i i did come at this from a place of, I want these people to be the kind of people that you don't necessarily want to show up at a dinner with. And by the end, I wanted these people to be people that you are ride or die with. And you're, you're trying, you trust them enough to, to kind of put your life in their hands. And I still think as humans, we are capable of that. But yes, it, it feels very much, I don't know if you've ever seen Children of Men, but the first 10 minutes of Children of Men sometimes, right? Like, it's just chaos out there. Um, so, and, and it's sad, right? But I don't think we have fundamentally changed in, in the core of what it means to be human. We've just listened to our own noise too long. Right. Um, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm kind of a sap. Well, I think I, I it's know. true because, <laughs> you know, I've met some people that are extreme on the other end of who I am. And I find that after a, a short time, a, a day or two, they become kind of more around to or open to other ideas. They start realizing, right. oh, it isn't what they thought. And I think yes. that a lot of it is just the interaction of real people in real time. And that's yes. kind of missing in the world between the internet and between the lockdown and all that, it became very isolating and we became very, you know, we, we think we know what this person is, but we don't really, you know? Yes. I, I honestly couldn't agree more. I I think, I think we all want to connect and we've created substitutions for connection and think those substitutions are, are real. And listen, I'm, I'm on all, all, forms of social media and i know this is this is the world right except it's not completely um right. and that's what the book is about and and that also is what i'm trying to teach my kids and and how i want to live my life too real real life connections still really matters it's it's how we're it's how we're made you right. know anyway well i don't think we know the truth until we meet that person like we don't yes. really know um, until we meet them and then talk to them and be around them. And, and you might not like them, you might like them, whatever, but you start to understand who that person is and why they live or believe in what they do. And it be- makes more sense because I think the best thing about a character when you write them is even if they're a bad person or someone that's uh, doing bad things, evil things, whatever, mm-hmm. killing or whatever they're doing, you won't really understand them unless the writer explains why they believe in what they do what because a lot of times the killer or the bad guy in the book or the bad people in the book really think they're doing something good oh most certainly so you got to get that across and um do you have any problem doing that do you are you able to to write these unlikable characters yourself fairly easy uh, or do you have to go someplace to do that i mean uh 
It's, it is a great question because I think once I latch on to my primary character, it sometimes is hard to see the story through somebody else's eyes, right? But this is a multi-point of view book. So I had to do that. I had to sort of step out from one person's shoes and, and insert myself um, in another. And I think what you what you said before about the, the bad guy, you know, uh, thinks they're the hero, right? Like every every character thinks they are the protagonist in their own story. That's in real life. That's in fiction. Um, so I think giving your characters a vulnerability to share with the reader is important. I also think having true empathy for these people while you're writing them is crucial, right? Um, otherwise, they're going to read two-dimensional. Um, so it, it, it really is bringing a, I sound so, <laughs> a love to the characters. But I, 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 think, I think I need to see each one that way in this sort of empathetic way in order to make them come alive. Uh, that, because that's what you said, Alan, like you meet somebody in person, they're 3D, you understand them. Yeah. Um, there needs to be an empathy there uh, right. with the character, too. Yeah. Like you have to see Dollar Store Dave at home watching his <laughs> movies to really yeah. understand. You know, to understand the all, love. The you still wouldn't understand it. But they're all in alphabetic order, but you, you see the joy. That's right. In Behind the, the eyes. Right? Yes. And, that, and that's what makes that, because that's the magic, you see, because that's yes. insanity. Right. Yes. But, but you you got to see it in real time. Yeah, but you see it is. But it isn't, because we all have it. And it would all look insane or sound insane to someone if they didn't know you. And then, and then someone on the internet starts talking about, oh yeah, this is what he does, you know, and he isn't he weird. And then people can jump on. But the truth is, if you actually are 3D with the person, you kind of go, well, you know, I, this is what makes them who they are. Exactly. Right. Exactly. What makes the character, the person tick? Exactly. And I think once you find that out, then you can start to connect with them. There's always something with everyone. Right. There's always a point of connection. Right. So do you start with your characters then? Because the characters are, are probably the key to the, the, the story as they learn things and as they grow, then the story grows and all that, you know, all that idea. So do you start with the character or do you start with the premise of the challenge, like whatever's going on in the story? So for this one, I that's just the seed of an idea, which was a dinner party basically gone wrong because of my own personal anxiety over leaving my kids with this new sitter that it had started as like a premise seed. But a lot of my ideas do start like, you know, that Hollywood, it's this meets that, you know, but that doesn't really translate to the page. So then, yes, I do go to the characters. Unfortunately, that means the first draft of this novel was very unwieldy just because, you know, I was meandering in all of their backstories and their secrets and their motivations. Um, and then the second draft is where I kind of made it into like a real, a real story. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure of, of your process with writing, but that, that's, that's definitely how I go. It's, it's, it's iterations. It's not one draft. Um, the first draft is sort of getting, getting those characters out on the page. Did, did your characters, as you were writing this, did, did your characters surprise you? Did they, kind of pull the, the plot off the, <laughs> off the rails? Is that why it was so unwieldy? I love this question because I, without spoilers, one of them insisted on doing something that uh, they, were a, they were a second stock character in the first draft. And they just, in my conception of the first draft, and they insisted 
on having a hand in the conclusion. And yes, so I was like, okay, <laughs> this, this is silly to just silence you. Um, you, you clearly want redemption, uh, but let's do this. <laughs> Not that I'm talking to my computer as, as I'm working, but sometimes it does feel like that. I could imagine. I could see you driving down the road and talking and your kids. Just out scared. loud. Yeah, and they're scared in the back. <laughs> right. going, oh, mommy's doing that again. There's no phone, kids. It's just me and my characters. <laughs> yeah, just carry a phone with you when you're walking around downtown and nobody notices. They just think, oh, that lady's not so, weird. I don't know if either of you to use phone notes, like the, the speaker system, but I have been known to do that. I will talk into my phone and keep like a little, like, audio clip. Do you either of you use audio clips? It's very helpful, actually. You don't have no, to I, I, I wished I wished I felt comfortable. Even, But I'm, I'm a real weird person, you know. I don't even, you know, because all these different remotes for voice remotes now, like with the cable companies or with this, you can say, you know, turn on Netflix, and it turns on Netflix. I mean, I can't do that. I don't know. It, that does creep me out, too. I'm going to be honest. I, 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 we don't own Alexa or, I mean, with, that is, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. But just, like, you have an idea and talk and, like, you can save a little clip, which I do find helpful because otherwise I'll forget it. Right, right. I, I always send, pull the phone out and start writing. I'm weird. I'll go on my calendar even and start writing what the idea was. It's just so you don't lose it. Yeah, because I, okay. I, I'm not going to speak to my phone. Yeah. God. <laughs> Can you imagine a lady driving around with her kids that does that? Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's insane. <laughs> well, no, it, it's funny. Accept you know, it. Right. <laughs> well, well, you know, talking, talking to your characters and stuff, I, I, I just, I, I was surprised. You know, I, I learned at one point that, like, it was, it's a weird, it's a weird statistic, like 20, so maybe like 50% of people have no internal dialogue. So they can't hear oh. themselves think, so it's weird. But So I always wonder, do you have an internal monologue when you're writing your characters, and is that how you create your dialogue, or do, do you have some other way? So I'm sorry, is this a real fact? 20% yeah. yeah. to 50% have no internal I think they're monologue. called mega. No, I mean, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had to, sorry. Oh my gosh! I, uh, that's wild to me. Uh, so I mean, Dave, to your question, yes, I, I think that I I do have, and I don't know if it's chicken or the egg, right? Like, am I a writer? Therefore, I give myself interiority, or do I have interiority? Therefore, I use it when I write. I, I don't yeah. know. I am definitely one of those people that uh, is reflecting on the world in some manner as I move through it. Um, I'm so fascinated, though, by by what you said about the internal. Uh, monologue though so yeah it's very interesting I'm, it's weird it is and i'm adding it to this list of of things i need to look up uh but you know the no wiping has to come first <laughs> well, yeah apologize. you know that that's <laughs> priorities yeah. on TikTok, tiktok is just fascinating i've learned so much about people um that's wild that you're I learning know. a lot today Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I have a list. I have a list to research yeah. when we are done. I mean, to live is just to learn. Otherwise, what's the point of living? <laughs> but, Agreed. I mean, there's, there is nothing else except for a uh, pumpkin spice latte. Hey, I, I had one on August 31st, so <laughs> you're speaking my language. <laughs> yeah, I had, to, I had to get one. I was disappointed in mine, so I Do you know. do all, all the pumpkin spice like you do all four pumps are we to, are we starbucks to okay, yeah yeah so. i did i did the whole thing but i was okay. just kind of i was let down 
and I'm underwhelmed. Not sure. mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. I you know I worry that it could be age. It could be like oh my god. You know, next so, I'm going to be wearing those big, huge, dark wraparound glasses, and 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 I'd be driving a big car soon, and I don't know. I, it's oh really no, so, you know. definitely, definitely not. I, I, for what this is worth, change one ingredient. I added oat milk, and it's a whole new world for what that's worth. Well, there you go. Sometimes yeah. that's all it takes. It's a little. It's bit. all it takes is oat yeah. milk. Another yeah. great, another great part of uh, the series that we're talking about. That can be the third book. Yeah. It's called with oat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without with oat. There you go. Oh, it's very, very Canadian. With oat. That's oat great. Oat. That's um, great. So, what do you get out of the book? Like, and I say this in the fact of when you finish re- with regrets, and it's out. You know, it's all done. Publisher has it. It's all sort of sitting there. And if you look back, and when you go to start your next book. How do you think you've changed from when you started with regrets to how you ended it? Oh, I love that. Um, Man, I mean, I think that anything we go through in our lives um, changes us. I think when you spend anywhere from one to three years, again, I don't don't know how long it takes you to to write a book or a novel. Um, Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I guess they take a, they take a, you know too long. Um, I, I've lived in that story for such a long time that the person I was that started the story is even without the book, right? Different um, when I finished it. Uh, but then you add this examination of what it means to be a parent in these troubling times, because that's a lot of the theme of the book, right? Is that there, there's just so much out of our control, especially um, when it comes to trying to create this future for our children and having no idea what it's going to look like. And that's been true forever, but it feels particularly true now. And and living and simmering in that fear uh, for the entire time I wrote the novel. The novel was born out of fear, right? Uh, my anxiety over leaving my kids with, with a younger sitter. Um, and at the same time, I do think it's a hopeful book. Uh, so uh, there's sort of a... Um, you know, an incompatibility there, but one that I'm comfortable with, I guess. And, and that I think is, it really is the definition of, of writing, right? Like it, it's, it's affected me. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that, that this book does resonate with, with readers, with parents, with, um, people that are scared, but still want to, you know, find some, find some hope amidst it all. In my day, was it really any difference? Because I'm immersed in the sixties right now late 50s and so i'm watching the tv shows and the movies and all that stuff because i i always do that when i'm writing in a certain time period because i want to grasp what people were thinking at the time for sure yes and 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 was it really any different i look at that generation was just as freaked out just as scared if not more than we are now they were they had the um the war had just ended they were so scared of communism they were worried about, you know, the blacks were, were rioting. There was the Black Panthers. You had all these things that were just all forming and happening. And then JFK got shot. You look at that time period. It was pretty freaky. And then all of a sudden you had people listening to the Beatles and, and mm. Elvis. And they, they, thought they thought, and they laughed about it. But the parents were scared. They thought their kids right. were going to Satan here, right? The Rolling Stones. So if you really put yourself in that time period, I wonder if it's really that different than what we go through now. 
I, I'm just saying, I think it's kind of an endless, timeless sort of thing that your kids will grow up and their kids, they're going to go through the same fear, whatever it may be, in 20 years. Uh, no, and I, I, I hear you, and I, I think that's actually kind of comforting, right? Because I, I think climate change and AI and, and, and the politics of today and, and just, as you had mentioned before, just the anger, yeah. um, it, it feels unique. I don't know if it is. Maybe to be human is to live in crisis and think you're sort of on the edge of that breaking point. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but if everyone feels this way, then maybe that is what it is to, to be a parent, right? Is, right? is this not knowing and this, this fear that you're not going to give, be able to give your kids the same life that you were given and it just repeats over and over. Yeah, it's, um, it's unique to our time. I mean, what they were feeling in the 60s and even the 70s and even the 80s with the nuclear bomb and all that, the Cold War, if you think about all of the tensions and the fears at the times, it fits kind of what was going on. You know, I mean, in the 50s and the 60s, if they had the Internet, it might have been different. Right? Yes. No, so, for sure. I'm just, I'm just sort of saying, isn't that kind of the hope at the end? Yeah, maybe. Yes, I like that. I, I do. I mean, and my parents have shared stories of, you know, the the bomb threats and under their desks. And, you know, now we have this, this whole shooting. Uh, I mean, it, it's just, it, is it is it never-ending fear? Maybe. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is terrible, but also then then that is that is to be human. <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe that's what it is. No, and I think it's all part of the experience. I think that, I think the idea is that, now, if we stopped wiping and we reduced that chemical, I love these segues. By things the way. Would, <laughs> would get better. Like things would sort of get better then, right? Well, we're all going to be better in a litter box. Listen, I, I think you're yeah. onto something with the 2020. Uh, you know, the, the toilet paper. Where were they? Um, exactly. They they were yeah. ahead of their time. I maybe they maybe. Needed, <laughs> they needed to be here then. You see, so so write a story about going back in time. I was going to say, now you're talking another genre, Brooklyn. Well, this is yeah. time-traveling non-wipers. Exactly. Um. <laughs> I, think, I think this works because I think it's okay to be, to cross-blend. Because isn't life really all of it? Like we, we, we say genre, but isn't isn't it, you know, you have days where it's thrilling days, that it's romantic days, that it's stressful isn't it kind of isn't to be alive all of these things? So I'm kind of I don't mind the mixing of the of the genres myself. Yes, I I think it's exciting. I think it is, and we were talking about this before. A, a bit hard to categorize, um, right. but but I do love having different elements of various genres in a book because, like you said, you you get to laugh, you maybe get to tear up, you get to swoon a little bit. I, I think that's fun. I think I think real life is is has it all, you know. And even sometimes, no matter how let's say scary or how apocalyptic we are in our in our story, mm. there's always that hope and there's always that little bit of humor. Yes, humor is, and we we haven't really touched on this, but I think humor is essential to a story because it's essential to life, right? I mean, yeah. I I think you just humor should be in every story in some facet. Yeah, because um, no matter what, uh, you, you know, because no, even in real life, no matter how sad or upsetting an event is that we all go through, there's always a little bit of humor in it. And sometimes yes. we don't see it until after because of our, you know, emotions. 
But the the reality is, I think having that little bit of humor helps us get through a lot of it too. Oh, a thousand percent. And if you can find the humor in the moment, that can end up being a saving grace. And it's a great point of connection, right? I feel like humor is is a conversation piece. I mean, it it is. Um, if you can laugh with somebody, I think that's very important. Really, I mean, if it. You know, Dave being able to buy his movies is hopeful for the future. Yes. Oh. For the future generations that they might, too, be able to buy their own media. Only right. if there's deals. Only, only if they're, <laughs> <Yes>. I mean. Dollar <laughs> store. You're, you're, you're not paying full price, I hope. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Dollar <laughs> 25. No more. Yeah. Right. They they all have him on speed dial, you know. He's in their, he's in their <laughs> five favorites, you know. It's like, oh, Dave, guess what? We've got this movie. And he's there. <laughs> You know, him and the cat. He straps the cat in the car seat. <laughs> oh, my God. And they're great. on their yeah. way. They're on. Yeah. The cat doesn't really like it, though. No. no. Doesn't like the store or the journey? Uh, both. Okay. That's, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> well, I mean, unless they're getting a cat movie or something, and it's yeah. what's the point. Exactly. Uh, again, I, I love all these ideas because now I'm thinking of a buddy com with a cat, and I, I don't yeah. know, with cat. I mean. With cat. This, this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with cats see that's book four <laughs> yeah that's right so you've got a whole series going on here i'm this has you. been this has been without so cat. yeah <laughs> right. without cat no they see what's the point then there's yeah. no point in living that's very existential yes <laughs> you know there, there's a meaning to this right yes. well it's, it's, it's it, the whole process is interesting but i think for me i think it's key isn't this all part of who you are like your character's I always say this, how much of you are in your characters? And do you, do you have one character that represents who you are more than any of the others? I would say, and, I, and I'm saying this for the record, because one of the characters is a writer. No. <laughs> I, try, I, try, I try to give a, a, a slice of myself to every character, and I really do feel like I identified with all of them. And I, I also found all of them just a little bit irksome. Um, and I, I tried to, to be fair in that manner. But I know because this takes place in the suburbs. I live in the suburbs. I am a writer. The character is a writer. This Liz is very much not me. <laughs> just say that um, uh, for the record. So, yes, I, I really did try to spread my love to, to all of the, especially the four uh, point of view characters in the story. Well, in a way, it's, it's kind of working out something in yourself in each character. That's right. Kind of, right? For so, sure. For so, sure. You know, you just spread it out more and stuff. And I think that's, that's so what happens to your characters now that the book's done? Do, do they disappear for you or do some of them stay with you? I like that. I mean, I don't think, I mean, short of, what was it with without with wipe um them yeah. kind of making a, a an appearance in that sequel um i think these ladies um the, these couples in at at the dinner party their story is is complete for now um but you know the again we talked about how you're changed through a, through a story and through the writing of a story and i have definitely learned as a writer particularly through writing one of the characters um, who kind of, like, as we were talking about, sort of forced herself into the climax and into playing a pivotal role. And that was to listen, to listen to these characters, you know, to come in with this, this bullet point plot and to kind of assert your will on this creative process, uh, is, 
acting like you know it all and you don't. It is a learning process. And uh, so in that sense, they have very much taught me with this book. Um, and I will take that going forward with every story, right, to, to be more flexible in the, in the writing process. So it's any real people, you, like people you know in your life, in your real life here that you've used as characters in the books? And we want names and phone numbers. <laughs> I love that. So I, I am a chronic name stealer. I, 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 like, pay tribute to, like, you know, my neighbor or uncle or friend from college. I steal a lot of names. Um, I, in this book, and, again, it's very important to say this, no one is stolen from real life because one of the characters in particular is so tough to swallow at the, at the beginning. Um, and so I just, I just want to make that clear that I did not borrow any people, but I love borrowing names and kind of like sneaking in tributes. Um, I've done that with all of my books, actually. And sometimes I forget I do that, and then I have to ask permission. Um, I just bumped into a woman today, and I'm like, I'm sorry, uh, I'm going to use your name as the main character. Is that okay? Um, just because sometimes then the character becomes their own person, right? And you forget that you even borrowed the name. Well, we um, have her on the other line right now. So. Oh, you're in. He's gonna, are you there? Yeah, she's gonna, she has something to say about this. <laughs> you know, it's all been a setup. Oh. Yeah. It's, um, and, no, I think it's all good, right? Yeah, um, I think so, too. As long as it's done with love. And then you tell them. Maybe it's good to tell them at the begin before. Yeah. Probably best. Maybe. Probably best if you're going to take their title. Well, anyway, that's a different that's a different story. Oh, full circle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> listen, so where do people find you? Where, where does Lee Kelly hang out? Like bars or social media? Like what? where do they find other than walking around downtown talking to herself? Yes, exactly, exactly. I'm talking to my phone with my, my kids trailing behind me. Um, so I have a, on my website, Lee Kelly author. Um, I'm on Twitter as Lee Y Kelly and Instagram. I think actually all my platforms are Lee Y Kelly. And you might ask why the Y. It was because A, B, C, et cetera were taken. Um, so Lee Y Kelly. Why? And, <laughs> why? Because it is. <laughs> There's one big Y. <laughs> yes. I'm Master Y. Oh, well, that's yes. good. No, we'll have all that up on the website, and then people Wonderful. can find you and thank and, you and track you down and all that stuff. So, and uh, what can I say? Um, what are you working on now? What's what's happening with with Lee now? Oh, thanks. Uh, so, I, I mentioned my co-writer Jennifer Thorne. So we we have another historical adventure cooking, and this one is in 1950s. Hollywood, uh, which is one of my favorite worlds just of all time. Uh, and we just turned in our draft on that on Friday. Uh, so uh, hopefully that, that will be out next September if all goes according to plan. Uh, and then I'm just kind of marinating in this idea that might follow up to with regrets more in the, the thriller vein or the domestic survival thriller vein. Um, and uh, yeah, but that's, that's, that's early, early stages. But that's, I think, some of the most fun parts uh right that that kind of like what could this idea be um so that's where i am with that what happens when you when you're writing with another person like it's a diff totally different process to the totally and, and what if what if like jennifer sends you a character and you go oh i hate this or i don't <laughs> like this idea like is it how do you how do you talk to another writer that you're writing with and you've done a book with or books with and stuff like this how does that go do you just kind of like say look jennifer this is terrible or do you just kind of no. 
Like, but it never <laughs> is with Jennifer. That's oh, the come thing. on. We want the <laughs> no, goths up here. It's so, it's so funny because this is like the number one question that we get is what happens if you don't agree? Um, so I, I really do think collaboration has been so healthy for me because like you said, Alan, it's a totally different, it is, it, I almost would say it's not the same writing. It's just, it is, it's so collaborative. You have to almost put your ego aside and say, this is our book. So anything that is a back and forth between us is going to elevate the book. And if you can trust your co-writer and she or he can trust you and you believe in the process, then I think you're golden. I think when egos come in, get involved and, you know, an idea is shut down and you get your back up about that, um, that can really devolve really quickly. And Jen and I do have a shorthand where we, it, we are operating from a place of mutual trust. We've been working together for years. We have our own language. Um, and we, you know, Zoom, I guess like maybe twice a week, we're emailing, we're in the document together. It, it, we have, we've got it down. Um, but it can be really hard at first. And I think you know really quickly if you're going to work well with someone in the co-writing space. Because if you can't get to that place of trust quickly, you're going to waste a lot of time. Yeah, but you could be like Lennon McCartney, It's you know, and then all of a sudden Yoko Ono comes in. So what do you do? So we haven't we haven't had that situation yet, but I will. We'll, we'll <laughs> I will work on it. <laughs> we'll get this. Sounds like another great story, yes. Yeah, because it's you know it's going to happen, right? I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I just I'm 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 trying to cause trouble here. I was going to say, well, listen, we're writers, right? You insert insert conflict here. That's that's how it has to go, right? So right. I yeah. get it. I totally get it. Well, Jennifer um, said funny. to me that you know, no, <laughs> yes. uh, she's on the other other. She's line. on the other line, and she's going to come up right now and say, listen. Okay, listen. This last idea, terrible. No, do you guys? But do you do you each have your own characters that you do throughout the book, and then put them together, or do you guys both work on the same characters? Do you know what I mean? So yes, absolutely. So the the one that came out in June, which is called the Antiquity Affair, we took we captained. We like to say a character, which means we just first draft that drafted that character, and the other person would go in and edit or comment. Uh, but we're plotting everything together. Uh, and we are revising each other's work. For the second one, it was much more, it's in third person, so it was easier to sort of, you know, write over each other, with each other. Um, so that, that process was a little bit more fluid. And again, we had our language. Like we, we, we had the collaboration, quote unquote, language, uh, where we, we kind of know how each other works and writes and we can, you know, trust each other that much more. Um, but I think that's only because we went through the trenches with the first book. Right. So this second process was so much smoother all around, quicker, maybe, too. But yeah, it's been fun. And it's a great compliment to the solo writing, as we all know, it, you are, it is you and your characters and you're walking down the street talking to them. So it, it, it has been such a, or at least I am, um, but it, it has been such a, a, a great compliment to, to the solo endeavor. Right. Um, well, we'll look forward to the, um, the rest of the series with, you know, with whatever, with, 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 pussy, without pussy, you know, the cat and all that, you know, oh my just, goodness. you know, with Yoko, right. yeah, yeah exactly. with Yoko, without, yeah, right. Right, yeah. Right, right. it's all good, you know, oh my so, goodness, so, love it, there was seven book ideas here, this yeah, is and, and so it's out now with regrets, a novel. It's yes. out now so people can come pick it up and, uh, yes. you know, help, help Lee out. She needs to, 
she needs some psychological work here, and she needs, <laughs> she needs help. She can't, she can't afford a, a good doctor, you know. So let's let's get some books by in here. So thank you. Know. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> so thank you, Lee Kelly. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.